0: The name of the study is called Short Stories That Change Everything. And we're just going one parable at a time. Tonight's parable comes in the middle of a story of Jesus interacting with a couple of different groups of people. Very interesting how he interacts with them. The parable is very short, found right in the middle of the story. So, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36 It's on your handout, or you use your Bibles, or your phone, or whatever you do. Here we go, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he he answered, say it, teacher. Here's the parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. When they could not pay it, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And he said to the woman, your faith is saved, you go in peace. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but this is the word of the Lord, and it will stand forever. Would you pray with me a moment? God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. As we consider this story, your story, as we consider it in the context of Jesus, what you were doing with these two groups of people, I pray that we would find ourselves here, and that we would understand a little bit more about debt. And that we would understand more about your mercy and love for everyone in this room. I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts together will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And we pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Uh, raise your hand if you're in debt right now. Hands up. Raise your hands if you're... In, how about your mom and dad are in debt on your behalf? We can count those in. Uh, the, I read a, uh, a Wall Street Journal article a couple of years ago. Um, because I'm smart like that, uh, and I haven't read one since. But this one in 2015 was entitled, Congrats, Class of 2015, You're the Most Indebted Ever. And it was an article kind of detailing America's debt issue, and specifically college graduates. I thought this would be fitting for you, because it's only increased every year since then. Um, The class of 2016 had a debt that was $37,000 on average, It's gone up probably 10% to 2017. Uh, Americans owe nearly right now $1.5 trillion in student loan debt. That's a lot, a lot of money. It's a lot of debt. There are two types of people in the world. Those who are in debt and those who have been declared debt-free. Kelly and I took a class. Kelly's my wife. A few years ago, we took a class at the Financial Peace University class, you know, Dave Ramsey and that whole thing. And uh, it was good. It was really helpful. We quite enjoyed it and learned a lot. And Dave Ramsey, you may know him from his radio show, where people, he's based in Nashville, and we've been to a studio, Kelly's sister used to work uh, there for that company, and we've been to the studio where all these people will come in the studio, or they'll call in on the phone, and what is it that they scream on the phone when they get to talk on his show? We're debt free! And there's everyone claps, and it's this huge moment, because that's the whole thing is like... The declaring that moment where you are forgiven of your like monetary debts, that's a big deal. Like, that's a huge deal. Maybe one day you will experience such a thing. There's two people in this passage, two types of people in this passage. And the distinction is so important because of how Jesus reacts to both of these types of people. One who feels that God is in debt to him. And the other who understands that they are in debt to God. Two very different people who receive very different attention and reaction from Jesus and his ministry. Here's the context for the parable. Most likely Jesus had just finished speaking. I'm sure there was a crowd. He had said lots of things that were very attractive to some people and very offensive to other people. Nevertheless, he's kind of built up a crowd. All these people are following him around everywhere he goes. Some people did not like him, did not trust him, and wanted him done. They wanted it to be over. And these were the Pharisees and other kind of religious types. We learn from the Gospels that the Pharisees resisted Jesus' ministry very much. They didn't believe Him. They didn't trust Him. They felt that they were the most religious people around. And who is this guy coming on the scene trying to tell them otherwise? They followed the rules. They, They obeyed the commandments as far as they understood them from the Old Testament. And they believe that their obedience kind of rewarded them, that God owed them some sort of reward. And then this Jesus comes along and he says, okay, so you say you haven't murdered. Good. Have you committed anger? Have you, have you been angry toward anyone? Then you've committed murder in your heart. And he comes along and he says, okay, so you say you haven't committed adultery like those people out there, but have you lusted at any point? After a man or a woman, then you have committed adultery in your heart. And the Pharisees knew that the price you pay for murder or adultery was either stoning or death. And they say, that's not not me. And they were very offended. So they wanted to end Jesus and his ministry. They wanted to shut him down. Jesus teaches that man looks on the actions, but God looks at the heart. And he taught them that they were dead on the inside. They may have a great appearance on the outside he calls them whitewashed tombs you have a great appearance on the outside but inside it's just bones wasting away so after he teaches like that some pharisee named simon goes up to jesus and this is the beginning of the passage and he says would you like to come to my house for dinner with a smile on his face do you hear it it's a trap this guy's wanting to trap Jesus. He wants to catch him in something. He's hoping this could lead to arrest. This isn't just some spontaneous dinner party, but Jesus sees through traps and he uses them to turn them over and capture someone else's attention. So there they were, Jesus and Simon and probably all these other important people around the table, and in comes this woman. Now this woman did not fit this crowd. That should have been really apparent as we read through it. Keep this in mind. This wasn't in someone's like dining room, like some lake house mansion out there on Kiwi or whatever it's called um, where you just are like secluded and there's this beautiful dinner party this is more like you're you're eating downtown outside of Moe's and it's just like it's very visible and people who are coming by see what's going on and they weren't eating at a table with chairs but instead they were kind of eating leaning you've seen pictures or read in history books how people are like eating at the table and they're kind of like working that lean-to, and they're kind of eating, and their, their feet are behind them. So picture, that's the scene. It's an important scene, because that's the scene that this woman walks up on. She sees the crowd, she sees this Jesus who is kind of leaning against this table, sitting with all these important people. And this woman comes up to him, and she begins to wa- wash his feet. Like, what is this? She begins washing his feet, not with water, but with her tears. She's crying onto his feet. And she's not using a rag. She literally lets down her hair and starts wiping his feet with her hair. And she broke open this expensive oil-like perfume stuff, and she puts it on his feet. Simon the Pharisee, the host of this little dinner party, is absolutely appalled. This woman should not be here. He sort of grumbles to himself, does this guy not know? who this woman is. If he really knew, if he were really a prophet, you you hear the smugness, right? You hear the the kind of meanness in his voice, the self-righteousness, and Jesus knew it. And so he said, hey, Simon, do you want to hear a story? Because he's a storyteller. And so Jesus kind of drops this parable in the middle of this dinner party. And by the way, tonight's outline, as you'll see there, is just based around three questions that are asked. And we're going to run through these three questions because they kind of help really lead the story. The first question Jesus asked at the very end of the parable, he says, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them loved him more? So there's a certain moneylender who had two people who owed him lots of money. The updated currency If you want to do the math, the updated currency will be something like two months' worth of wages versus um, 20 months' worth of wages, or 18 to 20 months' worth of wages. Basically, the difference between your summer job and your first year and a half salary after college. So that's the difference of debt that they owe. Got it? Here's the point. The debt was more than either of them could pay outright. I know we're having trouble with this, Michael. Do you want to just turn it all the way off? And I can just talk over it. It'll be fine. I hear it kind of coming and going. So here's the point. Both of them owe debt. It's a different debt. But both of the debts are more than they can just pay outright. It's a simple story that makes several points, both for the original audience and for us. So let me go ahead and fast forward to some of the interpretation. The first thing is this. Everyone owes a debt to God. That has to be established here. Everyone owes a debt to God. Some may feel that theirs is less than others. Or some may be very aware of their debt. In any case, with any person that's ever been born, the debt is more than any of us can simply pay. Jesus describes our debt before God as the sin within our hearts. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What's he saying? He's saying that each of us, because of our failures and shortcomings, what we've done that we shouldn't have done, what we've left undone that we should have done, in the innumerable ways that we have not loved God with our whole hearts, with our minds, with our strength, that we have accumulated a debt before God. You may see it as two months' worth or 20 months' worth, but regardless, it's a debt before God. Our sin is considered debt before God because we're all made in His image. And being made in the image of God means that we need to respond to Him as the Creator. What's expected in our response to the Creator is whatever he lays out for us to relate to him. But we don't do it right. We don't do it well. And so we have sin within our hearts, and so we are in great debt, all of us. And so Jesus asks Simon the Pharisee a really straightforward question. Which of the two debtors do you think will love the moneylender more? The answer, which he gives, the right answer, is the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Right? It's logical. The one who understands the depth of their debt more will be the one who celebrates the cancellation to a greater degree. Those who call into Ramsey's radio show who owe like $500,000 scream much louder than those who just paid off a debt of $150. Like We know that. And he gets the answer right, but he doesn't get it. Do you hear this? The Pharisee gets the answer right, but he doesn't get it. And how often, like, we are so guilty of the same thing. If you grew up in church, not all of you did, but if you grew up in church, you've got the answers. Do you get it? That's what Jesus is getting. So he asked another question. He's going deeper here. He says, the text says that he looked at the woman, and then he turned toward Simon, and he says, Do you see this woman? It's the second question. Now it's about to get hard for Simon and probably for the rest of us who think we may only owe maybe two months worth of debt. Do you see this woman? Who was she? So there's some speculation here. Most scholars would suggest that this isn't just some lady. But this is a lady of the night, right? It's a prostitute. And the perfume that she would have access to, she would have used in her line of work. In the moments of her deepest shame, and the letting down of her hair would also be something that she would do only at night in her line of work, in her moments of deepest shame, in those dark places. So what does she do when she has a chance to be near Jesus? She pours out perfume and she lets down her hair and she begins to cry. Why? Because something within her has changed. Most likely this woman has been hearing some of these (laughs) teachings from Jesus. She's followed the crowd around. She's heard about His words of hope and life and fulfillment. And they've gripped her and they've begun to change her. Because that's what the Word does. It changes us. And she's probably heard Jesus teach things like He just did in the chapter before this. In the Sermon on the Mount. Where He said things like, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. He says, Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And she saw herself as poor. Maybe in actual poverty, which is probably and possibly what led her to this line of work, as it does so often today, but also poor in spirit. Poor because of the regular giving of herself to all of these men that she didn't know. Broken. Feeling outcast and low and full of guilt and shame and self-hatred and self-hurt and fear. And Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. And she saw herself as hungry. Hungry for fulfillment, hungry for a meaningful life, for purpose, for hope and joy. And Jesus said, blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. And then she wept. She literally wept, right? She literally wept. And Jesus says, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And she wanted to laugh. And so she found Jesus and she poured out her oil and she let down her hair and she laid down all of her shame in front of all of these people and it didn't matter to her. And she brought it all to the feet of Jesus and she laid it there and she wept there and it did not matter to her who saw it. Because she was now safe for the first time in her life, safe at the feet of Jesus. For the first time in her life. And so Jesus takes this opportunity and he looks to the Pharisee and he says, Do you see this woman? The prostitute got it. But the religious man didn't. She owed more than 20 months worth of wages and she knew it. She loved the one who forgave her so much because she understood the cost. And, and Jesus kind of begins to work this out even more. He starts to lay out all these contrasts between the two. And he's just so clear about it. He, he shows that the religious man missed things that the, the, the prostitute picked up. He says, you didn't give me water so that I could wash my feet. That would have been a custom of the day for a, um, a host to... Give water or wash the feet of the person entering their home. He said, You didn't do that, but the woman washed my feet with her tears. You didn't kiss me when I arrived, which has been another custom of the day that we have conveniently dropped and pretty happy about. He says, You didn't kiss me when I arrived, but she begins to kiss my feet as an act of deep humility. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she gave me her expensive perfume. She poured it on my feet. You hear the contrast over and over again. And then Jesus made this huge point, in verse 47. This is his whole point. He says, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. So which will love more? The one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he turns to the woman and he says, Your sins are forgiven. So it leads to the final question, which is posed this time not by Jesus, but those who are watching the scene unfold. Verse 49, those who are at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Who, who is this who even forgives sins? Now that is the question. Like that is the question. Arguably, it is the question of like human existence. We have tons of questions that we're working through while we're in college, right? Why am I here? Who am I really? What is my purpose? Can I really be known? Will I make a difference? What's on the other side? Like we have these huge questions. This is the biggest. Who is this man? This is the question that probably you have wrestled with. This is the question that has started wars. It's divided families. It's changed careers. This is the question. It's a good question. Because here's the premise behind the question. It's not just, who is this guy? That's not what they're saying. They're not saying, who is this dude? They're saying, who is this guy who forgives sins? Because there's only one who can forgive sins. There's only one who can forgive sins, and it's the one whom sins are against. Let me illustrate it this way. In the parable, who was the only person who could actually forgive the debt of the two debtors? It's the moneylender, right? Because that's who the debt is owed to. He's the only one who can forgive the debt. Let me illustrate it another really silly way, and this is my attempt to riff off of an old Tim Keller illustration in my own uh phraseology okay so i own this computer and it's a macbook pro and it's it's a great computer i love this computer it's got a big screen um, because i used to fancy myself as a graphic designer so i have this big screen and it's, t- it's just too big like it looks a little silly when i'm sitting a friend of mine named jeff when he sees me out with this laptop he will always say oh cool you brought your desktop to work today so it's that big. I love this computer. I use it all the time. It's still fast. It works really well. A lot of storage, memory, all that kind of stuff. Now, let's say we were um, hanging out here at large group, and you tell, you tell me, hey, I've got this assignment due by tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., and my laptop crashed today. Um, could I borrow your laptop for the night? I just need it for the night. We can meet up on campus tomorrow and pick it up. I would tell you absolutely not. Go ask a friend. But then you would say, I've gone through all of that. You're supposed to be a pastor. You're supposed to be nice. <laughs> My mom said I should probably ask you. And, uh, and, and then I'll let you do it. And so then you're out in the parking lot. And it's raining out there, by the way. Some of you came in very wet. It's raining a lot right now. And you're out there in the parking lot and you sit my MacBook Pro on top of your car as you're kind of putting everything into your car. You're unloading, you put your backpack in there and, and you get in your car because it's raining and you want to leave really fast and then you just head off out of the Hendrix Center parking lot and my laptop slides, to ding, to ding, keesh. That's a sad moment <laughs> in all of our lives because now we've got to talk about forgiveness. <laughs> So in that scenario, there's only one person who owes a debt. And there's only one other person who can forgive the debt. Right? You following? The one person who owes the debt is you. And the only person who can forgive that debt would be me. And I would not. (laughs) So we're clear. Like Jeremy couldn't come stand and be like, oh, you messed Reed's computer up. That's too bad. I forgive you. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. That's not how debt works. The only one who can forgive debt is the one whom debt, to whom debt is owed. Does that make sense? Okay, that's one very important point. Here's the second important point about debt and forgiveness. It isn't arbitrary. You know what I mean by that? You, you can't just declare it. You can't just say, I forgive you. It doesn't work that way. Take Michael Scott, for example. <laughs> Kelly and I are re-watching The Office right now for probably the 1,000th time over the last however many years. Love it. You remember the episode where Michael Scott is in some money issues? And he starts getting all this advice of what he's supposed to do with his debt. And he goes to Creed... <laughs> Because he's Creed, and and Creed has lots of very interesting things to say. And so he goes to Creed for advice, and Creed says, You have to declare bankruptcy. And Michael said, I can do that. And he says, Yeah, man, bankruptcy is nature's way of starting everything over. And so you can see, like, Michael Scott thinking this over. And Oscar's in the room, too, and Oscar's like, No, that's not how it works. And Michael leaves. He leaves the break room and he goes out. Do you remember the scene? He comes out and he just kind of stands there and looks around the office. I declare bankruptcy. That's not how it works. You don't just declare forgiveness. Why? There has to be a cost incurred for forgiveness to happen. We know this logically, but it's so important here because if you break my computer and I forgive you, which would be unlikely, there's still a cost to be paid. So who pays the cost when forgiveness is offered? The one who forgives takes the debt on himself. It's the only way. In some ways, that's the very definition of forgiveness, by the way. Taking the cost on yourself. Because there's still a cost to be paid. That's why forgiveness is so hard. That's why it's okay, don't worry about it. It never works in our friendships. And why we still hold on to bitterness and resentment and all these things. Because actually forgiveness hasn't taken place. Forgiveness is, I will absorb the cost of what you've done. And I will let you walk away freely because I will no longer hold it over you. And that's why forgiveness is horribly hard. Like in a breakup. Like what does forgiveness look like on the other side of a breakup? When you are done with a person or they are done with you in a dating relationship. Maybe they've called the whole thing off just when you thought y'all were both all in. It is hard. It is horrible. What does forgiveness look like? Forgiveness looks like letting them go. Letting them have the freedom to make that decision. And perhaps living with a pain of that and even taking the pain on yourself. And not continuing to post like passively aggressive cryptic Facebook posts. <laughs> about this thing and this person and some people out there. Like, we all know who you're talking about in general. Here's the point. Forgiveness means absorbing the cost on yourself. That's why it's hard. Someone has to pay. And if you're into forgiveness, then you're the one paying. So where does that kind of thing come from? Where in the world do we begin to learn to forgive like that? Who is this? Who forgives sins? That's the question. You know what the answer simply has to be, right? The answer has to be this man, this Jesus, who says he forgives sins, he has to be God himself. It's the only option. Because if your sins and mine and the Pharisees and the prostitutes' sins are ultimately against God, then who can forgive those sins? Only God can. So, how does God forgive those sins? How does he settle the debt? It isn't arbitrary. By taking it on himself. It's the only way. Forgiveness isn't just declared, it is absorbed. The key to understanding the stories that Jesus tells is to understand where Shakespeare is writing himself into the story. Have you found him yet? He's the money lender. He's the one who's offering debt cancellation, but he only does it by taking the debt on himself. When he takes on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine, Why did Jesus have to die? Have you wondered that before? This is why. So that we wouldn't have to. We're told in the scriptures that the wages of sin is death. And that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Jesus sheds his blood. So that we wouldn't have to. Forgiveness isn't arbitrary. Debt, debt cancellation isn't just declared. It is absorbed. in Jesus takes on our debt when He takes on the cross. And when He says, Blessed are the poor and blessed are the hungry and blessed are those who weep, you need to hear this. Jesus Himself became poor. So that those of you who were poor in spirit, poor in your bankruptcy because of your sin, would have the riches of the kingdom of God. Jesus Himself became hungry. So that you who are hungry, hungry for hope, hungry for joy, hungry for purpose, and that's why you're here and you think you're going to find it at Clemson University, you are hungry. Jesus became hungry so that you would find satisfaction in Him and in Him alone. And Jesus wept. He literally did. He wept over the reality of death. He sweated blood in the garden before He went to the cross, and no doubt there were tears in His eyes when nails went into His hands. And Jesus wept so that those of you who weep now over your own sin and in your places of shame and your brokenness of this awful world, that you would come to smile with him and laugh with him in his glory when all things would be made new again. Jesus wept so that you would never weep again when his kingdom fully comes, where there are no more fears and there are no more tears. Listen, there are two types of people. In this passage, one who feels that God is in debt to them. And you know what it leads to? It leads to bitterness and anger and resentment and impatience and manipulation and control. And you can see it coming out in us when we think God owes us. And then there's the other one the one who understood that they were in deep debt to God and they were forgiven. And what did it lead to? It led to brokenness and humility and dependence and love and awe and worship of even thunder. But even more than that, it led to a worship of the one who forgave them at a great cost. So do you see yourself as poor? Hungry, in need of debt cancellation? If so, there's tremendous hope for you in the gospel. He's provided it all. And all you need to do is respond to his gracious invitation, even tonight for the first time or the 1,000th time, to lay down at the feet of Jesus, to be forgiven, to be known, and to be embraced by him. So let me just say this as we end. You've probably picked this up already, but this was a very risky response for the woman. This was extremely risky for her. To come into this room, to come into that room on that street corner in that kind of important person's home, to be seen, to lay down, everyone knows what's going on. That's risky. Few of us will be comfortable in a setting like that. For those of you who've responded to the call of Jesus, you hear this and you're like, I get it. I understand my sin, and, you know, Jesus has paid it all for me. Let me ask you this. What is it costing you? Like, what's the risk for you? If following Jesus and even forgiving, receiving forgiveness cost this woman something, surely it's going to cost us something too. Have you thought about that? What's it costing you even now, even as a student at Clemson? Let me give you a couple of possibilities. It might be your security. It might be the security of a relationship that you've gotten very comfortable with. One that doesn't honor God, and you know it. It might cost you the security of that person kind of making your life count for something. It might be your reputation. You've built your whole world around with people who tell you you are the greatest. You are always right. That's a great point. Oh, you're so good at that. What would it cost you to actually be wrong? And to be broken and humble. It may be your comfort altogether calling you to serve him at this university in places that you might not expect and might not normally go. Spending time with people that you might not normally associate yourself with. You need to hear Jesus asking you the question Do you see this woman? Do you see this man? Do you see this guy? Do you see that girl? Or maybe it's your perfect plan. You've got the plan. And I've talked to enough of you, you've got a plan. It's a good plan. You've got your grad school plan. You've got your marriage plan. You've got the mansion plan. You've got the salary plan. Eventually, you'll get to the debt cancellation plan. You've got your kid plan. What happens when God says, No, that's not my plan? What's it going to cost you? These are hard questions, right? Jesus goes deep, deeper than we want him to. But you know why? It's because he loves you. Jesus tells this parable, and he turns to Simon, who thought he had it all figured out, but he was missing the one who was telling the story. And he said to him, Now which of them will love him more? And Simon said, The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says, You have judged rightly. Do you understand your debt? Jesus comes to cancel it even now. Would you pray with me? God, it's a hard parable because you don't leave us comfortable at all here. We're going to find ourselves in this passage either way, and I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear where we are, but also hearts to understand how good the good news is. That Jesus, you came into the world to cancel the debt. Not arbitrarily, but by absorbing it. And you're the only one who could. I pray that we would return to you, even this week, that some may come and understand how their debt has been paid for the first time. Lord, I pray that you would lift up all of our hearts to be encouraged by the work that you have done. For your glory we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. let stand for one more <clears throat> Thank you.